Data can't be everything. It's not predictive of future habits. It shows you where people have been, but it doesn't show you where they're going. Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 48 of the Rev Thinking Podcast, the conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Today's episode is our annual roundtable podcast at Promax BDA on the topic of we've got data, so who needs creative? Our guests are Steve Viola, Megan Kirsch, Chuck Carey, and Marcel Ziul. Welcome to Rev Thinking the podcast for next-generation creative entrepreneurs. Now, here is your host, Joel Pilger. Hello, it's Joel. I'm your host for the Rev Thinking podcast, consultant and partner at RevThink. Good to have you with me today. I am pumped because today is our annual roundtable podcast recorded at Promax BDA, the conference in New York City. Now, this was recorded last week going live today here, Wednesday, June the 20th. Now, this podcast was recorded in the presidential suite at the Hilton Midtown Hotel in New York City. And I first want to give a big shout out and thank you to Kristen Huffines at Aspire Artists Agency. She sponsored this event and graciously allowed us use of their suite at the Hilton. So to find out more about Kristen and her company, go to Aspire Artists artistsagency.com. Now, first, before we get to the Roundtable podcast, a couple of quick announcements. Last week at Promax, we made two big announcements, we being RevThink. One is Cohort. So this is the group of creative entrepreneurs, not just associated with Promax BDA, but all of you out there, you business owners, you people that run motion design studios, production companies, agencies, and what have you. We are forming a series of quarterly cohorts that will be gathering in various cities around the country. And it's called Cohort with a Q. Now, to find out more, just go to RevThink.com and you'll see a little shortcut on our homepage talking about Cohort. If you are qualified, just send us a note to see if uh, you can get an invitation because it is an invitation-only event to go to these quarterly dinners. The other big announcement was ACDC. Now, this is the Alliance of Content and Design Companies. This alliance is a movement in our industry that Tim Thompson and myself at RevThink, we are getting behind. Now, we're not the ones running it, but essentially this alliance is a bunch of companies coming together and saying, hey, it's time for us to start counteracting some of the difficulties that have been growing in our industry of running a creative business. So the big idea is we're going to develop industry standards, best practices, and we're going to create a shared legal resource to help us with negotiating contracts and improving how we all work together because we know that we're better together. So to find out more about that, you can go to the ACDC. Com and find out more info. Would love to have you get on board with this movement and play a part. Okay, let's get to today's roundtable discussion. Our topic for this podcast that we did at Promax was, we've got data, so who needs creative? Now, the guests, to give you a little more info, our first guest is Steve Viola. Now, he's the SVP of Design at FX Networks. And if you know anything about Promax BDA, FX Networks has been the leading internal agency of the year for, I think, something like seven or eight years running. 
So all of the creative that comes out of FX, Steve has his hands on, and their body of work is brilliant. Also, we have Megan Kirsch. Now, Megan is the SVP of Marketing and Creative at Viceland. Viceland is a smaller network, but boy, are they getting a lot of attention. They are currently one of the darlings out there that everyone's talking about because of the way they're doing not only their branding and positioning, but their approach to content and engaging with audiences is really remarkable. Also, Chuck Carey, creative entrepreneur. Now, Chuck has done stints at Motion, where he was a leader at that creative agency in Los Angeles. He was also one of the founders and partners at Troika, which needs no introduction. Our other guest is Marcel Ziul. Now, Marcel is the creative director and founder at State Design in Los Angeles. You can find out more about them at statedesign.tv. And then lastly, the other two people on the panel are your illustrious hosts and panelists curating the conversation, Tim Thompson and yours truly, me. Okay, so here is our annual roundtable podcast from Promax BDA 2018. It's really cool that each of you accepted our invitation to show up to this year's, what we call the RevThinking Annual Roundtable Podcast. Because last year it was an experiment. We said, hey, we're at Promax. Wouldn't it be really cool to get some agency people, some clients in together in a room and hash something out? So welcome to the second annual Roundtable Podcast. It's really awesome to be with you guys. Now, I want to have everyone go around and introduce yourselves because there's two people that I will say represent sort of the client perspective and two people that more represent the agency perspective. But let's begin to my left. Uh, so tell us your name, where you are, where you work, what's your role? My name is Steve Viola. I'm the uh, SVP of Motion Digital Design for FX. We do all the on-air and a lot of digital branding for the network. We help launch a lot of the shows alongside our editorial teams. I've uh, been there for about five years, so yeah. That's your story. <laughs> That's my story. Okay, Megan. Hi, I'm Megan Kirsch, and I head up the marketing and creative for Viceland. So we, I handle all the branding for the network, the paid media, the social media, the creative, on-air creative, off-air creative, um, interstitial creative, all the short form that we do for the network, um, on-air promo scheduling. And I think that's it. And just it's kind of like five few other jobs in one. For good measure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Yeah. But it's a much smaller network. So it came from A&E and History Channel and then AMC before that. So, so you have some uh, history and experience with what you would call a bigger, the bigger networks. Correct. But you consider Viceland a, what do you new, call We're it? new and, on the scene. You know, we were like a little over two years old. So okay. smaller network, but a lot more responsibility. That's it. Mm. Marcel, you're up next. I'm Marcel Ziu. I'm creative director and founder of State Design. I've been running State for about four years now. And I handle creative and everything else at the studio <laughs> with, you know, my team. Right. And full disclosure, cl- uh, Marcel is a client of mine, so I know all the dirty secrets. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Chuck Carey. I guess I would describe myself as a creative entrepreneur. I've spent my career on the agency side of the equation, started in traditional advertising, then I moved over to entertainment marketing, Um, I founded Troika, and I left there maybe five, six years ago, the last three years I've been with Motion, uh, which was a great experience, and now I'm kind of in an incubation phase for my next agency. Love it, welcome. Thanks. 
And I'm Tim Thompson, the founder of RevThink and the chief revolution thinker and co-host with Joel here tonight. So, so <laughs> glad you guys could all be here. Thanks for joining us. So why are we here tonight? So I, of course, I, I warmed everyone up because we did some preparation calls getting ready for tonight. Um, but I was telling a little brief story of, I think it was three, it was either two years ago or three years ago. Tim, you and I were leading a session and one of our guests was Trisha Melton, who at the time I think had left Turner. Turner, yeah. And she was speaking to a room full of creative entrepreneurs. So these were agency, studio, production company owners. And she made this really uh, bold assertion about the role of data and analytics in doing her job in marketing and promoting a, an entertainment property. And she sort of threw down this bold statement that said, hey, you guys, if you're not, if you're not doing data, whatever that, whatever that means, but if you're not doing data, you're missing out. And on the one hand, I found myself saying, wow, that's really interesting. Maybe that's where all the opportunities indeed lie in this space, but and in the two years of processing it since then, being a former agency owner myself also, I don't know about that. And that was really the question I've been marinating on for a long time. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to get us together and talk about this? Because data is a word that everyone throws around like it's what would what would term what term would you give data? Is it a, you know, Panacea? Is it a promised land? Is it a, you know, a silver bullet? I think data also now represents uh, demographic. Who is our audience? Or what's our potential audience where we want to go? So if you're in charge of marketing, trying to do outreach, um, get your ad sales, you're using data to determine um, what the job is, if you've done it well, and probably even to collect some kind of uh, quota you need to for ad sales. And on the creative side, trying to reach an audience, it's nice to know or determine who that audience is. But the question is, can data actually tell us, tell us anything about the audience? Go. Well, I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> I think data has always been important from the perspective of building your media plans and figuring out where the potential audience will be for you know, whatever properties that you're promoting. Um, and we've always used that throughout our career in marketing. Um, I think where it gets to be a, a slippery slope is where it's like, there's departments called performance marketing now. Like that's like a whole name, new name for the department is performance marketing. So it's like every single thing we do, what's the ROI on it? What's the KPI on it? And it's becoming a little bit, I think, out of control because people are becoming afraid of going with their gut to make assets that they think are going to resonate with audiences and it's well hold on let's focus group this or let's test this or let's go back on the research that we did when we were trying to build the target and try to kind of cross-reference against key insights there so we can go back and basically I think overthink all of the different creative decisions to the point where I I, I personally think it's a detriment because I think you can't take away um, the power of what your gut instinct is and what you know is we're all talking to humans and trying to convince humans to come along with you, you know, on this journey. So you have to, you can't discount the human behavior for when you're trying to create something. What resonates with you, I think, is a good indicator a lot of times if you have good instincts and a good gut that what will resonate with a potential So I'm curious consumer. because when you spoke at the Rome conference um, at Promax BDA in Rome, I remember watching your presentation and I had a really big takeaway 
where I said, I don't think this brand and this positioning could have ever come out of research or this was not a, you know, like an objective analysis that produced this. Would you agree? Completely. It was actually the opposite. I mean, everybody advice was always rejecting for a while of data. It's like, no, we know it's a street smart. It's like we're completely driven by gut and instinct and we know what's cool and we're creating this emotional connection with our audience. And I think with Viceland came around, it was a little bit of, hey guys, there is sir, there is value to be placed on some data. We do need to understand a little bit. We did segmentation study. We figured out like who our viewers were. I've done focus groups with them before because it's mm -hmm. good to just help you understand, oh, who are these people that I know I'm already connecting with and building kind of evangelists around? How can I understand a little bit more about them so I can just at least have that in my mind when we're creating new um, campaigns and creative to resonate with them? But yeah, it's absolutely was built out of, it's human. It's supposed to be like, it's imperfect because it's human. Yeah. Well, the research I did about Spike Jones and the way the network, you know, various properties that, but he as a driving force seemed to be very much like, it's going to be driven based on gut and instinct and intuition. Um, and it's just cool to see that it feels like that mission and that purpose, that positioning has remained intact, at least based on what I saw in your presentation. It was, it was just really interesting to see, here's what a brand looks like that's coming from a place that's um, not trying to be all things to all people. You know, it's not trying to tick all the boxes of a, of a certain demographic or what have you. Um, Steve, I'm curious to hear from you because I know you spent years on the agency side, right? Somewhat, yeah. Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> but you have some agency side experience, um, which I think makes you a really great client is what I hear, um, but that's beside the point. Um, are you, is data something that's increasingly part of the conversation for you doing your job? It is increasingly a part of the conversation with digital platforms and trying to figure out where to navigate the new landscape. Um, Nonlinear viewing has really changed the landscape. But for the most part, what we try to do in marketing is try to be true to the content. So we, we really trust our studio. Um, we're big fans of the content that we produce. And so we kind of let the studio determine the content. We market the content to what it is, knowing that there is an audience for that content. and let the chips kind of fall where they may, for the most part. We don't do a lot of testing. Um, most of the data that we use does come from from um, analytics when it comes to viewership habits and platforms and things. But so it, it, a lot of it comes to, um, you know, targeting, target marketing for certain um, sales approaches for media planning and things like that. But we don't use it a lot when it comes to the actual creative. The creative really derives from the content itself and you try to be true to that content. Um, you know, I think that we're, we're lucky in the fact that we have such good content that we can just rely on that. For sure. Um, you know, I think that's always been kind of the, the give and take in, in, in entertainment is uh, whether you can tr sell it for truly what it is versus whether you have to kind of sell the audience for what it's not and hope they come anyway. Yes. You know? So um, I was guilty of that several times. Yeah. I, will, I will not lie. <laughs> Where the promo was much sexier than the actual show you were driving right. somebody to. It always has to be. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. But you have to, yeah, you have to leave I mean, questions. Isn't that, isn't that our know? job, right? Yeah, yeah. Is, is to create that curiosity and drive somebody to hopefully then consume and, and have an experience that resonates. Yeah, that. I'm a big fan of, uh, you, you know, you have to, you have to raise questions and awareness, but you don't want to, you don't want to, 
give it all away. And I, I, I personally think that people don't know necessarily what they want. So I, you know, I think the data that leads you to sh that shows you where people have been doesn't tell you where they're going. What I've, what I have viewed does not determine what I'm going to view. And I think that we're, we're very nonlinear beings. Uh, so I just, I, I you know, there's, there, I take data with a certain grain of salt in that way. I don't know. Netflix sure tells me what to watch next. And sometimes <laughs> I just press that. I see, watch next. See, it, it's broken for me. It's like, it's like, to me, I call it the middle aisles of Blockbuster. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah. uh, right. I log in there, the algorithm's broken for some reason. And I like. Because your kids are logging on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Walmart. Yeah, That's it is. It is. Yeah, it's it Walmart. Is. Yeah. And if the algorithm doesn't work, you know, you, you give it a few seconds, you try the search function, you can't find anything. I'm out of that app. Yeah. I mean, it's data can't be everything, and it does. It's not predictive of future habits. It shows you where people have been, but it doesn't show you where they're going. Yeah. It maybe shows you a pattern, you know, and then you can have like you know a pattern to follow. But I think I was reading a, like a simple book to my kid the other day, calling called the miss the missing piece. I don't know if you guys have read that. It's a super simple book, but it's like a, a life lesson because us as humans, we're always it's it's part of life always having like that missing piece. We're always trying to find what's next. There's never been like a situation that, oh, everything's like figured out. You know, there's always something that we're trying to find. And once you found it, you're like, oh, okay, cool. I need another missing piece to keep going. So I think that doesn't solve that, you know, because you right. always need something else. Well, here's a, here's a quote that I found that I thought was pretty on the nose of what we're just talking about. It was from Andy Price, who's at least at the time was head of Amazon Studios, maybe he still is. But he said, you know, in deciding which shows will work, though Amazon is a tech company, data can only get them so far. You can look at what people watch, but you can't be too deterministic about it. The show that will be the real game changer will be a real breaker, not what people are watching today. So it's almost like what you're saying, you can't really, you can't uh, extrapolate. Would based you, on today, what's cool that tells you what's going to be great and cool tomorrow. Would you predict that all these like memes that are so silly sometimes that we watch that they were be successful? No. Even with data, you know, you'd be like, no, I would never let like a Korean guy dancing like, you know, <laughs> 200 million views. Never. We Just won't predict that. <laughs> yeah. No, but to piggyback on that, in one of the articles you sent out, it was, you know, Reed Hastings talking about his use of data. And one thing they talked about, which I love, was directionality, which is you can't have it do everything, but you can have it get you in the right direction. What I like about that and what I think is part of the relationship the agencies have with brands and content is we're trying to get on the same page, right? You guys have great content. There's certain themes, there's certain characters, a certain essence of the show that you want us to understand and then come up with ideas to help, um, to help market those uh, those pieces of content. So what I like is that when it helps narrow it down, because we spend a lot of time doing things, people call them buckets, pillars, whatever it is. It's all euphemisms for trying to organize how we think about the themes or the potential themes within content or a brand. So to the extent that data can help us get there faster or more accurately, that gets me excited. That's what I think is a great zone. Well, and I think it's curious that I, for the most part, I don't know of any networks or brands that really go the full mile in terms of, here's all the data to our agency. Like it, 
For no, some, not at all. It's very filtered. It's very, very filtered. And I actually think it's for good cause yeah, because sure. I think most agencies don't know what to do with it. Right. It would be overwhelming. You talked a little bit about paralysis, right? It's, mm -hmm. If you don't tell people what it means, right, what the significance of something is, if you don't distill it to that. But then I think sometimes people are afraid to distill it too far because then they don't want to short circuit the creative process, right? We do have that issue. One of the big things for us when it comes to, especially our launch campaigns, is there's this kind of derivative process where you talk about the pillars and you talk about what are the themes, what are the concepts, what are these, these underlying things, themes of the show that we can extrapolate out to turn into a launch campaign that will interest people. And there's a derivative process that you go through where you start breaking these themes down into very simplistic terms and figure out then how to build upon that again. And the data doesn't show you how to do that data might show you what themes might be successful to extrapolate, then again, you might do that on your own. Mm -hmm. But how do you get from point A to point B, and really then C and D to actually generate the ideas to help launch and market a show, which are meant to be interesting ideas, things people haven't seen before to really entice people. And those are all things that we have to kind of conjure up out of our own consciousness out of the the pillars of whatever the show's about. And yeah. that's something data can't do for you. Completely. And is that, that why yeah. you look to creative partners? Because you can essentially say, okay, I've, I've identified certain patterns, buckets, pillars, what have you. Now I want to turn you loose and see what you, how you might realize this in a visual way, in a narrative way or something. That's probably why FX and Viceland, you guys have won like, you know, the most number of awards at, at Promax and like all these crazy, you know, campaigns you guys do, probably because what I understood here, you guys know about data, but you guys don't follow that pattern and don't try to find those answers. You're just like, okay, here's a show. Let's, you know, put our brains to work. I know there's this pattern, but we should just like follow our guts and try to find solutions or ideas or whatever. Yeah, and I would say you guys, FX is the only other brand that we totally look up to and respect, and one day we'll be you. <laughs> because, because I know, and I think like Stephanie is amazing, I never met her personally, but I can tell that the process, the creative process is really respected over there, and it's not the same, like look at, I mean, I'm gonna be like shit talking, but you know, like HBO is not what it used to be, I think from a creative perspective, the shows are good, but the marketing is not what it used to be, and I think because there's so many people involved, and you have so many voices, and there's, you know, showrunners and talent and you know a lot of layers can really dilute creative right. and compromise yeah and i think what's great about viceland is we don't it's just i'm just approving it i'm like let's that sounds good put it on the air go ahead put it on social go for it like it sounds great and i'm empowering you know 23 year old kids to come up with ideas and then go shoot them put them on the air and keep trying because you know we have nowhere to go but up and i think at fx i'm always really respected your guys approach and really it's you could tell it's art like you respect art and creative kind of comes first and you're going again with there's obviously you have great content but the way that you express that content and you push the boundaries um in the different types of like creative expressions shows to me that there's a lot of instinct that's driving that stuff that it's not all you know and it's any brief that we put together we're all going to sit around we're all going to watch the show we're all going to say hey these are the the couple of key things that we think are the most interesting ways in an entry point for the consumer to find out more and get excited about it. And it's never, that process and anywhere in my career has ever been data first. It's more been like, let's talk about what we think really resonated 
resonated with us about the show. Right. So let me ask and a question, because um, what's interesting is once you see FX produce the work, we see the end result and go, oh my gosh, that's gorgeous, it's beautiful. But in the process, there is some discernment needed. Is that creative going the right direction? Are they hitting the mark? Are they not? And what do you depend on to know if they're hitting it? I mean, there, is there testing? Does testing work? Do you, is it nice to rely on some kind of data testing? Or do you kind of read the testing and just throw it away and know, ah, that's just screwball information? As far as I knew up until a few moments ago, uh, we didn't test anything. <laughs> but just before this, I talked to John Harvey downstairs. Oh, that's funny. Uh, and he, he said that we do test a few things, but by and large, we, we don't do a lot of testing. Uh, so how do you get to the point where you are producing great work over and over again, or requesting it and, and having the creative teams produce it? A lot of it is culture. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a trickle down from the top. We have a great CEO. Um, John Landgraf and the, the development team produces great content and then Stephanie is an amazing creative and amazing team leader and uh, so she helps really foster a lot of that and then it just it trickles down it's it's um, you know regardless like of what we think what we think of GOP trickle down uh, creative actually works yeah, right. <laughs> trickle down oh, nice. Yeah, nice. culture actually works yeah I think I was gonna say just taste it's taste and sensibility and not everybody has the same taste and same sensibilities, and that's important to work with the right people that align with at least your your overall taste because it can be a frustrating process when you, and it's happened to me when I really loved a certain direction and it's just, wow, I couldn't believe that. They wanted to go this way, but you know what, I think if you have that from the top down, like at least a similar sensibility and just the trust to like let creative and marketing promote the shows because when you get too sucked in with the show teams they all think they know how to market their shows and they absolutely don't right. they know how to make the show <laughs> but you know at Viceland the show teams were in the edit room when I first started like breathing over the editors uh, shoulders when they're making promos and that was just wow. crazy like I had to yeah. do a lot of work to like establish and build the trust that hey we know what we're doing and um, you know kind of let us drive Trust is huge. Trust yeah. is, I mean, that's what allows for the for that trickle down process to happen. That John trusts Stephanie, Stephanie trusts John, myself, and John's team, and it just you're able to kind of do what you need to do. You're not worried about your job. You're not worried about messing up. You're able to just do it. You know, really yeah. comes out, and you're not relying on data to back you up. Well, I was going to say, development is a process unto itself, right? That is driven by cultural understanding, intent to bring a certain kind of story with a certain kind of showrunner and a certain kind of point of view. So there's a lot of decisions that are made there based on all sorts of different data, not necessarily just like quantitative research, but you know, taste would be one or just understanding of a cultural trend or, uh, or a strong piece of IP that's performed well in one context, like literary, and, you know, and then is going to be brought into more of a mass media. So I think there's, it's an indirect form of data that's used all the time, right? I mean, it's the whole system is built to reduce the uncertainty <laughs> and the probability of failure, yeah. right? Through many, many gates. So it's not like by the time it gets to us, there's, there isn't a lot understood about a lot of what we're helping the market. Does that well, make sense? There's a difference, yeah. I mean, I'm hearing you say there's a difference between objective and subjective data or, you know what I mean, like hard data, soft data, but both are still actually really useful. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. especially in entertainment, which is art. But I think that feeds into the whole thing with um, creative, you know? I mean, I think that data works really well when it's, when it's used for 
analytics and it's used for viewing habits and it's used for tar- certain targeting, but maybe not as useful when it comes to actual creative, you know? But when, I, when it comes down, so on a vendor side, so for example, when I work with FX, you guys already created that pattern. So my data at the studio, so it's like, okay, this is all the stuff that FX has been creating over the years. You know, so I can see the pattern, the quality, the creative and everything. So I can see where you guys are going. So that, it's kind of like my analysis of my client, you know. So I can use that towards your, when you come to State and say, hey, State, I want you to pitch on this. It puts me in that, you know, position that I'm like, okay, let me see what they have been doing. They're pushing, you know, the boundaries a lot. So let's just go and pitch something different to them. So that's kind of kind of my use of data to create something to you guys. That's actually a really good point. So maybe that's a different kind of data that we can talk about. Yeah. Brand data. How would you yeah. describe that? Yeah, brand like, data, like, yeah. Uh, like yeah. brand momentum or track record or... It's just like I, in my point of your view, DNA, when I your brand DNA, when of. you when you guys come to me and say, "Hey, this is an issue for baskets, go crazy," we go really nuts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like let's pitch to them. When I mean the the last pitch that we did together, I was you know we pitched something, and then Alex told me, "Hey, we want the pitch." When he told me the direction that they picked, I'm like, I can't believe it. It was like all <laughs> like a stretched character and everything. I'm like, I can't believe they're going with that direction. That's really cool, you know. But I can see that being a pattern of like that being part of the DNA that you guys already created, you know. So I can see like, okay, if I present this to FX, it's gonna fly. If I present this to like a more traditional network, it it wouldn't fly at all. Well, I think what you're getting into is that both brands represented here are pretty unique in that I think you guys have a really good sense of who you are. And when you have that, it's so much easier to be daring. You know, you, you know how to push. Yeah. You know that that risk can be withstood because there's such a foundation built. I do think that there are a lot more brands who are more, are more adrift, where their programming isn't as certain, or their market position, or their purpose, or what they're trying to communicate isn't as clear. And they may be more searching in the data for white space, whatever you want to say, for like, where's that opportunity spot? Where's an underserved audience that we can build our business around? So, you know, I do think part of it is there's kind of a life cycle, you know, and you'll, you can watch brands weave in and out of it, really clear positioning, programming very aligned with that, and then either the programming drifts or the brand drifts, and then they have to kind of be resynchronized. So I'm saying it also depends on who those decision makers are because I think that there's people in those in those senior marketing roles that are not comfortable with the creative process so much and really respecting it and understanding it, knowing what they like and are very comfortable with data being the decision maker and kind of resting on data as being That's the decision great maker. Point. Yeah, and is that a punt? And like is that when mm-hmm. Well, now it's trendy, and that's the thing. So I think that's literally, like, they've rebranded departments, you know, at a and It's called performance marketing now. It wasn't called that before. I mean, should it be called CYA marketing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I'm just wondering if if, if at times you might have somebody who maybe doesn't have, let's just, we'll be, I want to be gracious, somebody that doesn't have the experience, the pedigree, the intuition that takes years and years to develop. And so, therefore, they lack confidence, and they say, oh, well, the numbers say it'll work. And what happens, I think, sometimes is it didn't work. Well, the data was wrong. Or that company that gave us the data was wrong. Or somebody, something was broken. There's it wasn't a lot me. of business contexts in which those approaches do work. Mm-hmm. A lot. And so a lot of people get trained in those disciplines and are very successful in other aspects of media and entertainment. 
And then I think maybe when they try to blend some of those methods into the creative process, it's not as certain, especially when tastes are shifting in the audience and the relative options they have for entertainment are shifting so quickly. So I don't know if that jives with what you guys experienced, but I could see that. Being I mean, the case. yeah, I think as we're reaching, you know, on TV it was another year of growth, another year of growth, another year of growth, and you know it was the heyday, and then all of a sudden, when was that, a couple of years ago, it just stopped. Like the ratings just all started falling, and everything became really fragmented, and it's because of the Netflix and the Amazons of the world that are so driven by da data, and they're kind of eclipsing or kind of swallowing up where everybody else was and I think that's like in a natural place where people are like look that look what they're doing and they're killing it now and we're never going to be what we were before so let's really turn to to dad and more and be much more rigorous about every single thing we do and making sure that there's the ROI to what what we put out to gauge the success of it I, I have a quick point so if let's say all these Netflix and Hulu you know they're all using data and it kind of comes from the same kind of like place. Don't you think that they become all convoluted looking all the same? Because right now, so for example, I go to Netflix to watch a show and I, I know what I'm getting. But I can see now how, for example, Amazon Video or like Hulu, they have kind of like great shows and it feels kind of like it's all blending together. I feel like at some point if they're merged, if they change names or everything, it's all going to look the same. Don't you think that data is actually making everyone to look kind of like the same thing. Well, let me throw this quote at you. Jeff Bezos said, when we win a Golden Globe, it helps us sell more shoes. And so clearly their strategy is, as much as they're interested in making sure that they you know, get viewers on their platform, what they really are doing is selling stuff on Amazon. And they're driving an audience using Golden Globe winning shows in order to get those, that audience member in order to sell the other stuff. But, the, but they're still having problems of like, you know, telling people that their Amazon Prime subscription has the Amazon video. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. But, I, but I wonder what... I don't beyond, know if they're seeing the same Beyond that, thing. the idea of getting an audience in order to sell the products. Because mm -hmm. even in linear television, you have advertisers. That's right. where, the, where the money's being made. So there is a job to actually get audience members, know what they're looking at so that they can watch the show. They're selling CPMs. That's right. That's capture, it. capture that audience and mm -hmm. then convert it to advertising. Mm -hmm. Beyond beyond the content, you guys are talking really about the content, but I want to know like where the money is being made and spent is still in advertising and selling products. So do you guys mm -hmm. understand or use data at all um, to, to, to uh, build a marketing strategy to build an audience to sell the products, and then how how much does that affect the creative entities when they have to deliver goods for that same audience? Well, I think that's really interesting for Amazon. I think that's true for Amazon, but the uh, I think they're just a single entity out there with a, amongst a lot of others. When you look at Netflix, they are I think that they're using a shotgun with a scope. You know, their algorithm is their scope, but they're still firing a shotgun. I think the problem is that they they just create so much content, so much, and I mean. Even with how much they've tried to scale up, they can't keep up with marketing the content that they're producing. Yeah. So you've got so many people trying to market these things. You can't you can't brand and create awareness and and drive viewership to what a hundred pieces of unique content a year. It's just it's crazy. I mean, What's it, the paradox it's, of choice, right? It's it just it's diluting. Well, it's diluting your own well, ecosystem. But what's also interesting is. 
we've all been trained through the classic marketing funnel, right? So we have to build awareness, and then eventually that becomes consideration, and then down through the funnel. Whereas perhaps in that context, they don't quite have to do that because the algorithm does a little bit of that for you, in the sense that if they can build a certain amount of science fiction product, and you happen to really like that, it's going to keep giving you more science fiction options in in different proportion than you would get to other maybe genre content. And their main goal is for you not to cancel, mm -hmm. which is very different mm -hmm. right. than your main goal is to get tune in or at least tune in plus, you know, on some regular basis so it could be measured by Nielsen and then sold it up front. So what a, at what price do people start dropping? When you experience churn, because they keep upgrading their prices, yeah, no, it's, at some it, point right, you're going to yeah. experience churn. Absolutely, there is, there's a limit. Yeah. And that's what everyone wonders, that's what all the analysts <laughs> are wondering. <laughs> <wondering. laughs> Where is the, the limit? Where is the limit? When does this break? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cable yeah. has a high price, so yeah. when it hits the yeah. size of cable, then yeah. you might be there, I don't think right now. But, well, two things. One, yeah, because the, they psychologically make you think, oh, something new is coming, oh, that, we're doing that. It might not be the best piece of product you've ever seen, but you're like, oh, I'll keep it because they're making this and I'm interested in that over here. Mm -hmm. But they also, I mean, I've heard they spent $2 billion in marketing, which is insane. That so, just doesn't even compute. I mean, they're taking all their money. They're not making money. They're just putting everything back into the content and the marketing to keep people never canceling. Yeah. And it's a totally different ball game than what we're doing, which is trying to build brand loyalty and evangelist for your brand, um, even for FX too. Like obviously you guys spend a lot of time making sure the product at the end of the day, like you can't just algorithm this show. You like, we have sci-fi and this piece of it and this piece of it, crank out a show. And then it's paid actors a ton of money, get the production schedule going really quickly. And it's fine, but I just feel like there's not as many we're in the business of curation. Yeah, you know? exactly. They're not in the business of curation. They're in the business of mass production. Right. And you're in the business of what? The disruption, right? Yeah. Yeah, their head of, uh, head of global communications, uh, Joris Evers, says something like there's 33 million versions of Netflix. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It's not one channel linear, one program after the other in the same family. They're making something that whatever viewer is watching it, that's the version of Netflix we're watching. Right. And to think that the user experience that we have when watching a, a digital platform is, we might have seen the same shows, but we didn't watch them at the same speed. You know, I could have binge watched mine last weekend, you could have watched it as it was being released week after week. Um, and the opportunity and the need sure does change when you hit that scale. Some of what we have to wonder is, is that a future or the future? Is, will they have more opportunity to survive than linear television at, you know, at some level or compete at some level different than linear television? And so to the point of many of you guys in the room, content always wins, right? If you're winning, if you're doing the Golden Globe winner, most likely people keep watching no matter what platform it's, it's mm -hmm. on. Um, but there obviously seems to be a scale that Netflix and Hulu, or Hulu and Amazon are hitting that the linear uh, broadcasting is not hitting. And it's more Netflix. Yeah. I mean, I think Hulu and Amazon are pr relatively modest in their uh, in the amount of content they produce, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly yeah, for in sure. amount of, yeah. yeah. But they're going to ramp up. They, you know, they yeah. have to now that they see the pattern. And then if Hulu becomes essentially Disney's Netflix competitor, yeah, that's going to be that really will interesting. get very interesting yeah. and will be interesting for you because then it'll change maybe even how you fit into the portfolio of storytelling, which could be a really great thing because there's a well, I'm talking about FX now, there's a well-defined brand voice there. 
So it would fit really well into kind of a spectrum of content kind of approach. And there's also another layer, which is the user experience. It's very different to watch linear television than it is to access. And this may be what you're talking about, your conversation with John earlier, where you're getting more feedback maybe from the app environment that you guys are in now, or how your shows are consumed there, or how, or not. But I guess one of the things that, that I've thought about too is that in linear television, we had to make a lot of assumptions over the years on how people consume things, or caught up. Even just catching up, right? Like season returns is a whole other kind of marketing, right? How do you <laughs> not lose that momentum between seasons or how do you help people catch up from one season so they're not boxed out of the second season? And that is a whole thing that exists in linear that may not exist in, um, in streaming as much. Yet it still does because some people drop the entire season on you <laughs> and some people dole it out week to week, right? So even there's, there's kind of a whole different, you know, I can't put a bow on it, but there's a lot going on <laughs> right. that we all have to contend there's, with and see what the, the implications are. I think there's just are. too much content, yeah. I think, really, at the end of the day. And especially in like, the scripted world, I think you, what you were saying, how things look the same, I think it's just because everybody's got a scripted series out. Like AT&T is making shows. DirecTV is making yeah. shows. It's just... But don't you think that that's... Now, an Apple, course, that'll like, be really interesting. Okay. But that becomes like... So, for example, to me, going back to that missing piece. So, content was the missing piece for me. Like, you know, that's why we're like, oh, desperate for content. Now there's too much. And we're like, don't you think that we're going to get to some point that we're like, maybe we don't need this. I remember like, you know, a few years ago, we were like, oh, Facebook. Oh, my God, we all needed this so much. Now we're all hating it. Mm -hmm. You know, they're losing users like on a daily basis that they would never imagine like. I think it gets to a point that we're like, oh, we don't, I can't stand this anymore. I think I actually, I think I actually reached that about three weeks ago. What, on Facebook? <laughs> no, 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 because there's too much. Netflix saturation point? No, my, my, so as a voting member of the Emmys now, I get, oh, oh, yeah. I get the four-year consideration. So these are the DVDs and stuff Do you get the physical show, deliveries? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. The yeah, physical deliveries. Kill, like, and Netflix's stack. Yeah, yeah, so what's interesting is, you know, I, I get this beautifully mass-produced binder of Netflix top properties, right? And then, of course, Amazon shows up, and then Discovery, and then Food, and whatever. And then Netflix shows up again. And then Netflix shows up again. And then Amazon shows up again. And I'm telling you, I have a crate sitting in my dining room of stuff that I'm like, even if I was a total junkie, <laughs> I couldn't binge watch for a straight year and get through this. So this is what Dina says, you have to cancel your Emmy? Yes. Believe me, they're like, they're like, okay, this is great, I think. Really? But it is, it is sort of ludicrous. I mean, I've been thinking about how can I take a picture of all this in a way that would help people grasp, wait a minute, something's really, really changed. And it is, I think it is very much a paradox of choice because when you are in the grocery aisle and you have the three or four cough medicines to choose from, you're kind of like, okay, this one looks good, I'm good to go. But if you have 80 cough medicines up there, a lot of people won't buy anything. That's why I love Trader Joe's. Mm -hmm. Yes. They give you the one <laughs> yes. single-labeled option. It's yeah. so exactly. Maybe we should use it data is, during the four-year consideration campaigns. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> no, but you're, you're right, Chuck. I think you're right. That's that's what a brand is ultimately a navigational aid. and That's a, exactly what it is. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a shortcut to 
content that you want. Yeah. Curated content. But I will yep. tell you that the crate of 100 DVDs I have, they're all incredibly well-branded. Sure. There's so, just 100 of them. So no, I mean brand in the sense that it's, it's a seal of some kind of point of view. Right. Quality, quality, quality visual identity, I think, is different from a really good brand. Mm. Distinction and standing out from the crowd is different than just a good visual identity. Interesting, sure. Mm -hmm. So what in your stack jumps out at you as this is what I'm going to watch next? Well, it's probably more of a campaign than a brand. Yeah. Because it's a really clever packaged thing that looks like a top secret you know, dossier or something. I'm like, well, that's really cool. What the brand is, I don't know, but the campaign got my attention. Yeah, that one was cool. That was Netflix. <laughs> you know, I, I can't remember what it was. I know what it was. was cool. Yeah, it was the. Um, <laughs> the oh, it was the David Fincher one. Was it on Netflix? Yeah, yeah I don't remember. Little, I just know the folders. Yeah, house. no, no. Yeah, ours was literally because we the, uh, don't have mind, much money. Uh, was mine, mine Hunter. <laughs> mine Hunter. Yeah. It was the Mine yes, Hunter. Yes, it was one. Mine Hunter. Yeah. Yes. Because I remember, cool. right, my daughter and I both looked at it and went, ooh, that looks cool. We should watch it. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, ours was just like a zine in a resealable plastic bag with a USB. We wanted to just put in a piece of paper, just put our URL, and that's it. But you but know they what? Won't I, let us I remember that. that. Like it's it's memorable because it's kind of like when I it's almost like an anti-brand. Right. It was like with IFC last year. I think they, I don't know if they broke the rules or not, but they, they sent did, out a yeah. USB key. Yeah, they break the box. We were like with yeah. every year where we broke the rules, and then it's written in the rules the next year. There's a lot of rules <laughs> with any that's a little insane because the whole thing it's a monopoly. The company that does the mailing, like they own the list, oh, so that's the deal. You pay all this money for them to send it to that those twenty thousand people. Gosh, where are these businesses? I'm telling you, I'm like, what am I doing over here? That's right. exactly what I should I be doing. I question though: both of your brands are part of a bigger portfolio, right? I don't know if that, is FX being part of the Disney portfolio now. Uh, well, if it happens, no, not okay. yet. Only if it well, yeah, but the conversion would be. And Vice, Viceland's part of Hearst Entertainment and AT and T. Didn't they own a piece of they, it? As well, well, we're half on the Annie Networks, which is half on by Hearst and Disney. Yeah. Oh, and Disney. Mm -hmm. So both oh, you're of your Disney group. Look, we'll all be in the uh -oh. family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're like the stoner this cousin of Annie. Yeah, 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 so like stepchildren. Yeah. Stepbrothers. We think this is like a short thing, but you know, but we'll you guys, see what happens. Do you guys see yourselves as part of that overall portfolio, where that a consumer can say, if I'm on the Disney platform and now I have your brand and your brand, I'll know. Oh, I want to be part of the Vice content. Uh, and that stuff, or the FX content and, and their work. I mean, I think it, it's more just helpful for business reasons than from the consumer perspective. It's great for us because we can use A&E's sister networks for cross-channel support. They help us with distribution marketing. On the sales side, we like join forces, but on the consumer side, we kind of want to stay away. Like We want to be our own identity. But as a consumer, but, don't you think that helps me say, oh, I love Viceland yeah. shows, so I'll tune into your... It's, it's curation and navigation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you 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 go into whatever uh, you know portal you're in, and then you want to go find the content that you want, and and that's where brands come into play. You it's know, like, and it's so, like trying to navigate in the Louvre. You got to eventually choose which one to go with. That's why. But that's why I think yeah. that's why I think Disney is such a great system compared to all the others. Is that you go into Disney, and let's say Disney comes out with a new app, and they've got all these sections, right? And you've got Marvel, you've got Pixar, you've got uh, what uh, Lucasfilm, and then you've got FX, you've got Viceland, and you know where you're going. And you say, you know, I want adult adult scripted content. I go to FX. I want something disruptive and interesting and new. I'm going to go to Viceland. I want something that's just like a fun blockbuster. I'm going to go to Lucas 
film, you know, like you just, you know where you're going, you know what you're looking for, and it's all segmented based on these brands. And that's that's why people like brand, that's the power of brand. But that's yeah. because they're curating it like that. I don't think anyone would even know before that some of those brands were attached to right. each other. Exactly. You know, yeah. from the consumer but they have become much more front and center than studio brands used to be. I mean, those all now represent a certain genre or approach or type of, you know, content that is well known to the consumer. It's interesting, one of the things I loved about the article you set out, the median age at Netflix, 32. That's like 20 years younger than in, in, yeah, yeah, 20. Yeah, employee or no, viewer? viewer? Viewer. A viewer. So that's very different. Yeah, it said on average 20 years older in broad, yeah. traditional broadcast. So yeah. just the environment you're in. But the median income, I think, was like 92,000. Per household, yeah. Which said, well, that's, more, that's affluent. And, yeah, yeah that seems more affluent than I would yeah. have even expected. So it was just, I found that curious as well. You guys reading that data again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we do it that way. What I think that means is that people prefer to consume it in that mode, whatever that mode is. Streaming, curated, algorithm-centric. I like what I like, I get only what I want, and it's easy for me to find. But everything's going to head there, right? Absolutely. Anything that isn't there now is just all going to either be curated into that kind of ecosystem, like we were just talking about, or is, you know. The biggest thing that, that has kept people from competing in that space has been existing contracts. I mean, mm. should, should everyone have been able to freely produce direct-to-consumer products like point. Netflix, right when Netflix came out, that would have happened across the board. You I mean, you saw it with HBO Now. You know, they were one of the first people that were freely able to do that. You're gonna see everything going that way as contracts continue to change and people were to buy back rights and licensing to all the different pieces of content, it's all gonna go that way. Yeah, but the networks make so much money from the distributors, so that's the one thing where they kind of need them to back them up. So even HBO now, I don't think was a huge success um, because of the re like all the revenues you get from affiliates is a huge Yeah, you don't wanna bite driver. the hand that feeds you. We're going through that right now. You don't I mean, wanna bite the hand that feeds you. Yeah. 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 Well, it's also like, I know this is a totally different topic, but then there's a the Nielsen situation. That, I mean, <laughs> that, I have a plan is for being, that is my monopoly was plan. The death of, <laughs> will be the death of many brands, but I mean, I think we're going to be in a space now where it's going to get small. The universe will get smaller, you know, look at like Discovery and scripts, you know. There's look at all of these kind of consolidations right? happening, and yeah. certain networks will fall. All right, so it's. Uh, I'm, I'm going to shift this to maybe a sort of concluding question. What are you excited about? I mean, based on what we've been talking about, I'd love to hear each of you just sort of comment briefly, like, what excites you in terms of if we were sitting here a year from now, we were looking back and saying, wow, that was really cool. This happened, that happened. I was able to do this with my brand. I was able to do this with my agency. Does data have a part in that? Or is it, uh, are you gonna continue to trust the instincts and go with what you know? And Marcelino, I'll, I'll let you start. I can start with that. I will always fight data. It's just because I wanna try to find that missing part. You know, what's, what's that missing part that we can't not find? That's why, as far as like the, the studio, I always say that to you, that we're not very safe, you know? We're not the safest. Um, studio to be so that's why we do good with fx because we're not like if when every time that we work with like more traditional um, uh, client it, it takes 
we kind of scared them a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, because I'm always trying to find that pattern. It was like for about two years, we were getting, you know, people calling us for pitches for re network rebrands. And it felt like they were going to the same source and we were getting the same kind of brief because they were trying to target the same people with the same data. I was like, are you guys all talking to each other? I thought you guys were like competitors because I'm getting the same brief, you know, and probably the same kind of like callers, the same kind of like messaging and all of that. So that to me was a pattern that I'm like, hmm, maybe I got to fight all these like, you know, things, you know, not be in the pattern just like, okay, you guys are going this direction. Okay, let me show you what this looks like. So you're firmly in the camp of uh, following intuition yeah. and letting instinct yes. take you places that you believe data would just never Maybe get you there. Maybe it would never been, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Chuck? I think to the extent you can ask interesting questions and get good answers to them, I'm very interested in where data's gonna take us. Because who could ever disagree with, yes, let's do amazing, dangerous, wonderful creative. I would never disagree with that. Of course. That's great. That's beautiful in its own right. But not all business problems can be solved with that approach. Some are more complex than that. And so you do have to ask questions. Why are they doing that? When do they stop doing that? How often do they do it? Right? Things like that. Because what you have to do is then reorient your mind to like, what am I even trying to solve? Right? So to me, that's, I love those kinds of problems where you're trying to like dig a couple layers deeper. What's really going on in the behavior in the audience relative to whatever the situation is you're trying? So I get very interested in data. And so what I'm interested in is it getting out of the research department and starting to move more into the marketing groups, then eventually into the creative vendor ecosystem, where we have common tools or some kind of common language where when we're trying to solve complexity, we can all have that conversation. In a time frame that's actually useful to you guys, because you're moving fast. Right? We can't stop and ask these questions that would take six months of study. But if there's a way to, you know, to shorten that response time, that we could be working more closely on identifying what the issues are, that could get exciting. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve, give us, a, give us a client perspective on that question. I, would, I think I would agree with uh, half of what, what Chuck said. I mean, I think that... Um, I think, the <laughs> I think data... The correct half data, the incorrect. data does have its uses. <laughs> I think that there's so much that you can you can look at in terms of viewing habits and figuring out where people are headed. You know, you can see like trends, you know, you can see that stuff and it's interesting. But you know, I also think that there's a lot to be seen with data where you can see where you can you can look at data and you can see four different correlation graphs and say and you can make whatever deductions you want to make from that data, you can prove with all these different graphs. So it's hard to even extrapolate exactly what you think you're getting out of that data. Um, but I do think it's useful in terms of trying to guide the way when it comes to targeting and positioning, figuring out you know, where, where to focus your money when it comes to planning. But for the most part, I think when it comes to creative, when it comes to branding, and I do think that as we start to see this um, like glut of, of content that it's gonna come down to curation and trust with the consumer to know where to find the good stuff that it comes down to intuition and creativity and being able to make yourself stand out just like we've been talking about for years about standing out in this media saturated environment. Um, I think that's what it's going to come down to. And I'm really excited whether or not this Disney deal goes through. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this idea of being able to um, leverage a really larger portfolio and a larger group and, and uh, 
you know, have a place in this larger ecosystem and, and be able to have people funneling, properly funneling people who want to view your content right to you, uh, as opposed to just trying to yell and scream out there. Because I, I feel like that's kind of where we're at right now is like, you know, trying to be as loud as we can be and get that feedback from the from the consumer. But, you know, being in a larger ecosystem with a lot of stuff coming in and then, you know, a huge portion of that being funneled to you because they want your content, I think is actually really exciting. So, you know, if the Disney deal goes through, I think that's that would be very, very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. All right, Megan, what are you excited about when you look out the year ahead and I mean, I'm just excited that we take so many risks and we really are in a mission to be a cultural, like a passion brand beyond just the content. So a lot of the stuff I do is beyond even what the shows are. Like we have a bus that we take to all these cultural events that has 50,000 Instagram (laughs) followers. That's like a character in our world that we film content on, we put that on air. We have this like meaningful connection with our consumers that's really unique. we give our consumers, we have a hotline that consumers call and then they just call and give us whatever. And you make whatever promos they're ta- out of it. Yeah, make promos out of it. They talk about <laughs> the Trump or they're mad about this or they're just really high and just saying crazy stuff. And we curate the prompts to ask them different questions depending on how we're feeling. And it's a great way to like reflect what's happening out in the world. And next up, I'm really going to get in the merch space. And I'm like... Instead of just doing all these licensing deals, which is what we did before at A&E, and I think we'll do that also, I'm like, let's just make t-shirts and sell them on the bus and sell them out of our studio and see what happens and see what the appetite is. And we don't know exactly what we're doing, but we're going to figure it out as we go. And we made like three pilots, and I want to make a show. I think we'd love to have some kind of like liquid television, like late night weird comedy block that we can incubate because we have a camera crew here and we're just making short form all the time. So... I think what's exciting about Viceland is we're right there in the moment and really trying to be part of what's happening in society and reflecting how we're feeling about different issues and using our platform to connect with our viewers in a different way. So to me, there's nothing more invigorating than that. And I think there's so much more we can do in that space. Um, And then where data can come in, I think, to just help us really understand really more how to reach more of what who the Viceland viewer is and find more of those people and using more tools to do that and also working closer with Vice and really figuring out we have a whole digital arm of our company how to create more of that ecosystem between you know these two different um, worlds within our company so I think there's a lot of opportunity there it sounds like you're you're having fun right there's like a freedom to fail culture there that you're kind of you're going for it and not everything works but a lot of things do and that's exciting when you get to try th- try new things. Yeah, and then if all else fails, I'm very connected now in the cannabis space, so I'll just like <laughs> dish that and go for the industry that's jobs. actually burgeoning. So there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I had I had one final thought I was going to share because um, a few weeks ago I, w- I was doing the 42nd episode of this podcast, and I did a little research on the number 42, and I thought oh, it'd be so cute to mention something, and it had this strange relevance. So any of you that are maybe as old as I am, maybe read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy back in the day. Of course. Yeah. And the number 42 was this this answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Now, that was the answer, calculated by this enormous supercomputer named Deep Thought that calculated for 7.5 million years. Unfortunately, no one knew what the question is. (laughs) 
But the answer is 42. And I thought, you know, it's strangely apropos because I think, you know, you sort of put a, a point on it there, Chuck, towards the end, is if we're asking really interesting questions, I think data can tell us some really interesting things. But if we're not asking interesting questions, we're, it's just going to say, the answer is 42. And what do we do with that? Well, I want to thank uh, each and every one of you for showing up and yeah. subjecting yourself thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank to you. our thank inquiry. You. And really glad you joined us. All right, I hope you enjoyed the annual Roundtable podcast episode. Just one final thank you for our generous sponsor, Kristen Huffines and her team at Aspire Artists Agency. Thanks again for use of the presidential suite. For more information about Aspire Artists Agency, go to aspireartistsagency.com. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more free resources, updates on upcoming events, or to learn how RevThink consultants advise creative entrepreneurs, please visit revthink.com.